Alright, how we doing everybody? It is 2-21-20. I'm your host, Will Reddington, and welcome to another episode of Red Talk. Today I'm joined by Kendrick Murphy and Trey Hayden as we break down Louisville's bounce-back win over Syracuse, Kentucky's win over LSU, as well as previewing both the Cards and the Cats weekend matchups against North Carolina and Florida. Then we get into some NBA storylines going into the second half of the season and the Wilder and Fury boxing match on Saturday night. Before we do, our show is brought to you by O'Shea's Irish Pub. Stop in Sunday for some 99-cent smoked wings and $6 Bloody Marys. All right, let's get it going. Right, Kendrick, Trey, welcome. Huge week of sports. We had a lovely Louisville win. We had a awful, awful Kentucky win that absolutely broke my heart. But we'll start with where I spent my Wednesday, which was at neither. I went to the Cincinnati UCF game. Can either of you all explain to me why I did that? I was kind of wondering the same thing. I looked at your Snapchat and I saw you, I thought you were at the Louisville game, and then I looked at this floor and I'm like. Why is he at a Cincinnati game? Yeah, it looks like he's at Fifth Third Arena. Yeah, so Pat's been hassling me all year to come up to Cincinnati while he's working to come watch a Cincinnati Bearcat game with him. So I go up there, of course, same time as the UofL game. Going to miss every second of it, turn off all my notifications. I actually successfully watched the UofL game without spoilers later in the night. Didn't know what was going to happen. Nice surprise. Wow. But, yeah, we all just needed Cincinnati to win the game, me, Pat, and Sully. Just needed them to win the game by one point. They were a 10.5-point favorite, so they should have won easily. They were up five at halftime, and then it went to double overtime. I've never really seen a fan base act like the Cincinnati fan base. We happened to be around a bunch of children who were probably in between the ages of six and nine. And they were just absolutely screaming, screaming. I've never seen kids that young so into a game. So props to the Cincinnati fans. But long story short, we're in double overtime. We need Cincinnati to win the game. We're down two, two seconds left. Dude shoots the ball from well beyond half court. I mean, it's not going to go. Goes in. Cash. Yeah, place is going nuts. The only person not celebrating is Mr. Cumberland, the gentleman who let the shot go, who had the moment for life that everybody dreams about. Makes the half quarter to win the game. Down two to go up one. Doesn't get it off. We go home. 20-degree walk. Because you were there. That's all your fault. Yeah, next time that I'm going to do something like that during the UofL game, please remind me not to. Just make sure you let me know next time, and I'll definitely do that. Yeah, because there's just no way Pat would have been that mad if I would have bailed. Should have bailed. And that's tough to take on the chin in person, knowing that Louisville was minus nine, and they defeated Syracuse easily 90 to 66 and it was weird it, it feels like Louisville's back now I don't necessarily know that they left Dick Vitale kind of rough to listen to but said a ton of really really smart stuff last night I he felt did. like and he made the comment that hey Louisville's they are what they are right now but they're 21 and 5 you know how many teams would kill to be 21 and 5 I was like, yeah dude totally that is the case and they come out they absolutely put it on Syracuse a team that absolutely needed this win to be even in the conversation to get in the NCAA tournament. I, I felt like the difference in Louisville's 90-66 to 66 win was the shooting. Like, they just made shots. Basketball looks better when you make shots. Definitely agree. I, I thought attitude was, too. I just feel like at the last two games, it just felt like we weren't really there as a team. You know, we play a lot of basketball together. Um, and, you know, things on and off the court can bring you together as a team. I really feel like this Nora situation – with, you know, like sometimes when he's not getting the ball, which he's got to understand he's going to have a target on him. He's the best player on the team on paper. Supposed to get drafted. He did go flirt with the draft last year. He's on the scouting report, and, you know, that that seems so simple. Like you, you would think like as a basketball player in college at a D1 college like Louisville, you would know that. It just Sometimes he steps out on that floor, and it's almost like he gets frustrated with being hounded by defense and the fact that like sometimes the ball can't come to him. Last night he put up a lot of shots. His percentages were low, but he seemed aggressive. Every time he caught the ball, he wanted to score. You could tell sometimes it was a bad shot, but that's okay because you're the best player on the floor. It's just been inconsistent for him all year long, and and I think that a lot of that inconsistency comes from his mentality. When he goes out on the floor and he's not getting that ball the, the way that he thinks he should, he disconnects from the game and from the team. Last night they were having fun. The ball was getting spread around. He was getting his. You know, they weren't, like I said, they weren't all falling, but he was getting his, and everybody else was getting theirs too. 
that's when the team looks like it's at its best. And I, I think that's what you saw last night. I'm not going to say they're totally back. I still think that there's some some work to be done as far as the mental goes. The team's there. The pieces are there. We've got a big lineup, and that's something that we don't really get to talk about a lot as Louisville fans. I will say that uh, with a guard like David Johnson being over six feet and everything like that, and then you your shorter guards, they have experience, and you know they're upperclassmen and everything like that. The, the pieces are there, but – you know, some teams, they don't have the pieces. Some teams, they don't have the mentality or the drive or the coaching. Or I think that there's a lot of things there that are good for Louisville. I'm not going to say they're back. they got two tough games coming up, and we'll talk about that coming up. You know, he's just got to get his head in the game, and, and I think we look like a better team when he is. Even if he is shooting, you know, 15, 16 times, we can still get our shots. First off, all teams, high school, college, NBA, everybody's undefeated after they have a players-only meeting. Nothing like a players-only meeting to just bring morale up. Anytime you see that released in the media, you're like, okay, here we come. I feel like Louisville, we have to do that once a year, but we usually win that first game. Mm. And I thought that Wara didn't shoot great last night, but he just seemed so much more energetic, so much more like just willing to contribute and do the little things. And I love seeing him take 18 shots. Like, what, what does that hurt? Everybody else still had a pretty effective game, and he took 18 shots. I thought the difference last night, though, outside of just making shots, I mean, we've been, Dwayne Sutton's been awesome all year, but we've been begging for Dwayne Sutton to just knock down some threes. Mm-hmm. He hits three last night, three of four, five or six from the field, 16 points, eight rebounds, five assists. That's what you want from your guy that gets you to go. But I just want to give a ton of credit to Chris Mack. I mean, you're going into this game. It's a must win. You're playing against a zone. And I was thinking, yeah, it's time. It's time we start David Johnson and Ryan McMahon. They're playing better than the other two guards who have started these last 13 games, even though we may have won 10 or 11 of them. But it's a weird matchup because Ryan, perfect matchup, playing against Syracuse. 100%. But David Johnson, not necessarily because he's clearly our worst shooting guard. Chris Mack comes out there and he puts him in the middle. Of the zone at the high post. And it's just brilliant. Him and Sutton just alternate at that spot. If it's filled when David brings the ball up the court, Sutton hits the spot. But if it gets worked around, David hits that spot. And David's such a good passer. So it wasn't. It's never going to be that matchup with Syracuse. A pro-scoring matchup for David Johnson. Seven assists. I just thought that move was so brilliant. Because if Sutton's going to shoot like that, you can play him like he's one of the three guards. Just really impressive. Definitely. I think this was the perfect game for Louisville coming off these two losses. Obviously, we have a lot of great shooters on the team. Playing against the zone, you get open shots in the zone. We had a team high for the season, assists, 23 assists. So I think this was a perfect game for us to get back on track. Like I said, it was good to see Jordan with his mindset of, hey, I'm going to be involved in the game. I'm going to shoot. Yeah, he put up some shots, and yeah, not all of them were great, but at least he was engaged with the game. I feel like in some of those games, the games we lost last week, he wasn't as engaged. You can kind of see it in him. You know, if he wasn't getting going early or if he wasn't getting off to a great start, his mindset kind of like drifted away. You didn't see any of that at all yesterday, which was great. Yeah, and that's another credit to Chris Mack because he didn't start him, and it obviously did not have the proper effect on Jordan. Right. Not starting him at Clemson, it made him worse, but he puts him back into the starting lineup after what was probably his worst performance of the year. And if he wouldn't have started him, I think Louisville fans would have looked at each other and said, hey, what has he done to earn this starting spot back? And I don't really have an answer for that, but sometimes your best player, you just have to learn how to manage his personality. And the correct way to manage Jordan is to believe in him, to tell him to be comfortable and to be aggressive and to never stop, to never get down no matter how things are going because we need him to be great, to be even good. And just so many different contributors last night. Malik Williams, 14 points, 13 rebounds. But let's take a look at Stephen Enoch. Felt like he was never on the floor last night. Well, he wasn't. He played 11 minutes. He had 10 points and five boards, five of seven from the field. Unbelievably efficient. Back to Chris Mack's coaching, I think if he could have put six bullet points on paper for how to beat Syracuse, we met those bullet points. Like, we we did what we were supposed to do. Yeah, it's Tough, even even if David Johnson is a tall point guard, even if that's the case, it's tough to ask a point guard to go to the middle of the lane or and, and catch balls on the elbow and turn and face. Because he still and, hadn't done it. And make know? a decision. It's yeah. still college basketball. It's got to be quick. Your decision's got to be quick. We saw everything from him dumping it down low to kicking it back out to the three. It's a very, very uncomfortable position, take my word for it, yeah. to cut across the lane and catch the ball on the elbow in the one spot that all five players turn and face and have their hands up. And it's like Trey said, I think Trey made a very good point in his very first line. Syracuse was the perfect game for our situation. Syracuse is never going to leave that zone. 
And Ryan McManus's own buster as far as shooting goes, when you have a tall guard that can turn and face and pass the ball effectively, that's great. You said Malik Williams scored 14 points. He didn't shoot one three. Yeah, that's what I'm he talking about. He didn't shoot one three. Sometimes Give me more he gets of that. when 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 teams are a man, they get to bodying them down low. I'm not gonna say he's soft, but I, sometimes I think that he still struggles with the the body down low. And so they they push him out to that three point line. It becomes enticing to him, and it's almost like teams want that to happen. Malik Williams can knock that three down, but if you're picking one out of the five people that are on the court for us, if he's on the court to shoot the three, it's probably gonna be him. And so when teams make that three-point line enticing to him, it's hard to be effective on offense because, yeah, it looks like an open shot. Yeah, I should shoot this. you know, Or, yeah, I can turn and face and shoot over this guy. He got in a groove of you know running that baseline, catching it in that short corner, the drop down to the basket. That gets you in a rhythm. That was the good thing about yesterday. I think Syracuse was the perfect matchup for us yesterday. That's not, it's not a lot of times that you say things like that where you think that Syracuse is a good matchup for you. You know, they're a great basketball program. They've struggled the last couple of years, but they're always long. They're always tall. And when you have five people standing out there with their arms out, it looks like there's no open spaces on the floor anywhere. And we found them. Yeah, we found these, them yesterday. These poor guys for Syracuse last night, they all weighed like 150 pounds. And I just thought that absolutely killed them. It makes sense that they're in the situation they're in. It's, it's so weird looking at those bodies mm-hmm. compared to the ones that we used to look at in 2013 during the Carter Williams days. And they, like they just don't mellow. Yeah, they just don't see that. They don't seem to have those guys anymore, which is why they're like that. They look like they would have dreamed to play against the zone, so they probably really enjoy practice. Looking at the rest of the schedule, you know, Duke loses last night, and it kind of sparked even more positive reaction from Louisville Twitter. You look at it now, Louisville is a half game up on Duke and Florida State coming down the stretch. After this North Carolina game this weekend, three basketball games left in the regular season. Crazy. It really does fly by, and Duke and Florida State do have an extra game. Louisville owns the tiebreaker over Duke, but they do not own it over Florida State. So when you look at the rest of the schedule and you see games like at Florida State, at Virginia, how likely do you think it is that Louisville ends up taking this one seed in the ACC tournament and winning the regular season title? I think it's definitely doable. Um, we would have to play our best basketball this season. And I think that's something that we can definitely work towards. On that 10-game winning streak, yeah, it was awesome that we kept winning. But we never – I felt like we never were hitting our stride. It was still very vulnerable at times. Definitely, definitely. A lot of times we were playing from behind and coming back in and winning the games. So I feel like we still, even with this team, with the great record that they have, we still have not – hit our full stride and full potential for this season. So I think obviously now would be a great time to start getting that going in the tournament time. Um, but I think it starts, um, one, not taking North Carolina lightly on Saturday. Yeah, they've had a way worse season than they expected. They've had the worst luck of really any college basketball team luck. ever. But like Chris Mack said in his uh, post-game presser yesterday, they're still Carolina. Yeah, They still have Cole Anthony, t- probably a top-10 draft pick. They still have Roy Williams. I feel like it's kind of scary with Florida State, the game being on Monday. I feel like this Saturday almost could be like a look-ahead game. And I hope we... not. But you're right. I mean, God, we have two games from February 25th to March 7th. We're only going to play two games in that time right. span, and they're going to be on the 1st and the 7th. It's absolutely a look-ahead spot. And isn't it weird to say that you could, like, look ahead of North Carolina? Yeah. It, I mean, it, it, the, ACC right is so, the ACC yeah. is so weird. But it is a team that has absolutely no shot at postseason play. But you look at the way they've lost this year. I think they've had seven or eight games where they've had the lead and lost it in the last 30 seconds of playing time, whether that's regulation or overtime. And Roy Williams was obviously really frustrated after the Notre Dame game. He drops the F-bomb in the press conference. But th- – I don't know what to expect from them. You know, if North Carolina came out and just completely laid down and gave up, I can't say that it would surprise me, but I would more so expect them to come out and be highly competitive. I do want to talk about something that's not as fun. Rough Tuesday for me, when one of my teams, LSU or Louisville, plays the Cats, I'll never go into that game not believing in a higher power, not believing that I deserve this win. But turns out I still totally don't deserve it. Uh, lost 79 to 76. It actually should have been much worse than that. And I just, it's so tough. LSU's falling apart. They're pretty good, but they're not great. And just to be at home, to lose that game like that, and to have the announcers constantly saying stuff like, Sestina's third three. He hadn't made one since January. Ha ha. Yeah, that was, that was a tough one. <laughs> don't take it personally. D- uh, it felt like nothing could go right. You go into the second half, LSU's down one. 
Kentucky hits her first four threes of the half. You got Ashton Hagens hitting threes, Sestina hitting threes, Johnny Juzang. Just a really, really rough experience. I go into it every time with so much fan-style intensity, and I just get punched in the mouth, and I never know how to react. Discouraging. But I will say, Kentucky, one of the best four teams in the nation. You think so? Yeah, 100%. I would have to agree. Even as a Louisville fan, it hurts to say it. But one, something that I think everybody knows now, but Emmanuel quickly, he's legit. He's quick. Oh, he's good. He's, he's quick. Legit. Like His jump from last year to this year has just been crazy. We obviously know about Maxie. He's showing up. Hagens is good. UK, they have a lot of the good pieces, or a lot of the right pieces to, to go all the way. And then I saw a tweet that it's not good for us Louisville fans. It was talking about you know um, when they lost those two in a row to Utah and Ohio State. They had one quadrant, one win at that point. And two months later, they now have more quadrant one wins than the five of the top eight teams in the AP Top 8. And it feels that way. All year, you're seeing the ranking next to their name, and you're like, that's too low for Kentucky. But that Evansville loss has killed them the whole time. Evansville's a bottom five team in all of Division One. They've lost almost every game since they left her up with that victory. But when you look at having three guys that can handle the ball the way they do, three essentially oversized point guards and then you have Nick Richards and LSU's tallest player is six foot six and he's a bulldog of a center Emmett Williams and he came into that game he wanted it so much more than even I did and he played so hard and it just didn't matter because they have Nick Richards and he's six foot eleven and Coach Cal is as good as it gets I don't like the guy if I never had to hear another Coach Cal halftime interview I would be fine it's my least favorite part of every Kentucky game. But the first half, LSU had a chance to really pull away. Kentucky couldn't hit anything. And you saw nothing from Skylar Mays, who is one of the best players in the country. Kentucky denied him the ball the entire first half. The second half, they had Skylar Mays walk the ball off the court. Like, you know, he, he's going to have the ball from the start of the play, and he's probably not going to pass. And he scored a lot, but not enough. And I just thought Cal's coaching brilliance was really exposed there because LSU has one guy that can shoot that can create his own shot that can do all these things he completely took him out of the game in the first half it allowed Kentucky to hang in there they made every single shot in the second half but their offensive spacing is truly incredible Nick Richards is always at the right spot and those three guards can just blow by you and they put you in a situation where your big man has to step up and help help on them because they've already beat that first line of defense and they're going to shoot a floater if he doesn't or they're going to throw a lob if he does. And we've seen it for 10 years now since Cal got to UK. That style of offense. Yep. And this team, to me, runs it better than any Kentucky team we've seen since that team with the Harrison Twins and Booker in Towns, the 2015, the 38-1 team. They're so bought in. They're so much better than they were in November. And it it's just like beating a drum. It is the story of Kentucky basketball. Every single year, they are in prime form going into tournament time. And now, I mean, they're probably not going to lose again. They're probably going to get two seed. I do think that they're one of the best teams in, in the nation. I, I won't say that they're number like they're in the top four. I think there's some older, bigger, stronger teams out there that, you know, seem to be what Kentucky struggles with at times. Uh, but, you know, when you get to the tournament, when March hits, it's a crapshoot. And they're definitely in the crapshoot. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they're a good team, like you all said. They, they've got great guard play, like you all said. They've got great coaching, as always. I spend a lot of time talking trash about Coach Kyle, but he he figures it out. I mean, you know, to, to bring new players in there, and not just new players. Every team gets new players, but to bring new players that have to be meaningful to the team every year. And you're talking about five, six guys that are going to get a lot of minutes every year that you maybe didn't even know their name before. It, it's it's a really, really tough situation for him, and he makes it work. Uh, even some of in, in his most unorthodox ways of coaching, you know, getting technicals and getting thrown out of the game and close games, things like that. It's, you're like, you're laughing when you're watching. You're like, oh my God, I can't believe he got thrown out. It's almost like he just gave up. But like, it, it lights this fire under him. It, it's a way to get to him. And I think he's he's really figured that out. The thing I worry about most with Kentucky is like, okay, so most recently dated game, the LSU game, they played eight players. Y uh, yeah, no, that is what they do every single game. Every he game. will literally wear those guys down. And every game. LSU kind of does the same, but it didn't matter. Those Kentucky guys, we talked about on the last episode, they're in the best shape in college basketball. They're not tired. They're better in the last five minutes than they were. And the only reason LSU came back and made that game close is because Hagens had an ice pack wrapped around his thigh, yeah. and they were pressing. And so it just made him uncomfortable. But see, that's the, that's the thing with me is, is I don't think it's so much conditioning. I, I think that also in the NCAA tournament, the crapshoot is the referees. And if you get somebody like Richards in, in foul trouble like we've seen a couple times – it's kind of like he's got to 
he's got to figure it out. You know, and, and with playing eight players, and especially in the NCAA tournament when you're playing meaningful, very, very, very high-intensity games against very, very good teams, especially when you get into later rounds and you have to do it two times a weekend with eight players, that'll get tough. He will probably figure out a way to make it work, but all it takes is those guys in stripes to, to, to really shut it down for him. Yeah, foul trouble is the way to beat Kentucky. If you don't have them in foul trouble, it's going to be tough to get anything exactly. accomplished because of how good Nick Richards is. And with those three guards, they're interchangeable in terms of who has the ball. They're blown by LSU's best defenders, their worst defenders. It doesn't matter. They just can't guard them one-on-one. Quickly, Hagen's... Maxi, they're all going to play NBA basketball, and some are going to be better than others, but they have NBA speed right now, and Kentucky can play fast. They can play slow. And looking ahead at this weekend, we have Louisville, North Carolina, Kentucky, Florida. I have Louisville favored by 8.5 against North Carolina. These are guesses. These are not out yet. I have Louisville favored by 8.5 against North Carolina and Kentucky by 7 over Florida. Do you all see any discrepancies with those? Is that Kentucky-Florida game? At Rupp. I like that. I like that minus 7. I actually like with the way Florida's been playing. I think Florida can cover and maybe win at Rupp. I feel like Kentucky's due to not shoot well, to play bad in a game, and it's not going to be the end of the world. But it, it has to be seven. It can't It can't be lower than that with them coming in there. No way. And North Carolina, I feel like even though Syracuse had a better year, I feel like it's not by much, and the line will probably be around the same, if not a little lower because of all the talent that North Carolina could possibly display. Yeah, and um, I don't know. that The Kentucky spread I'm comfortable with, the Louisville spread is – it's kind of up in the air. I, I I think I would maybe drop it a little bit. Yeah. And, and this is why. I, it's still North Carolina, and the thing about it is, is even though they're not as good as they have been, and they're really they're, they're kind of at that point where they're not really playing for anything. You know, they're not going to go. Uh, and that's a weird thing to say about North Carolina, as we've talked about before. But Louisville has kind of played down to the talent at, at times. And I think that if they come out a little flat, North Carolina's not the team to do that with. I think, what did they lose? They lost three games in the, the past, what, past 12 days on buzzer beaters? Yeah, they're going to be there That's at insane. the end. So yeah. I, I do think that North Carolina with the points is smart. But I thought that about Syracuse, too, a team that wants it that bad. And if Louisville's going to come out and shoot that way, it's it's been the same story since November. There's very few teams that are going to beat them. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I definitely like Louisville, the eight and a half, or from that six and a half to eight and a half range. The only thing that worries me about this North Carolina team is they have a couple of the things that we struggle with defensively. Um, obviously, Cole Anthony, a great guard. Um, sometimes our guards are not as great on the ball. Yeah, guard scoring kills yeah. us. Yep, that kills us. And you then one -on -one they also have, uh, if we can use Georgia Tech as an example, they also have two big men as well. Yeah, Malik and Steven, they can battle with Garrison Brooks, and I forgot the other guy's name, but he's a pretty big guy. Uh, but that tandem that Georgia Tech had was tough on our big men as well. So those two things worry me just a bit, but I still do think we get it done. Yeah, and you still have Roy Williams too, who now, like I said, North Carolina may not be playing for that tournament spot, but Roy Williams is playing for his future. He's not his future as a coach, but his legacy. Like like what his team is going to do next year, what his team is going to do in the next three years. So like he's trying to prepare these guys to be better. They need a big win. You know, they need a big win so that way he can kind of look back on it and say, hey, look, this is what we did right against, a you know, a top-10 team. This a, is face what we're a, capable of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Louisville, yeah, they, they're they out of the top-10 by one spot, and they lost two games that they, sh you know, arguably shouldn't have lost. But to come out and beat a team of that caliber, especially after you've played so many close games, then he can do that thing where he's like, look, guys, we were knocking on the door. We were knocking on the door on, like, three different games that maybe would have been the difference in, in us – playing for a bubble spot or, or playing to get into the tournament as, you know, one of those at-large, especially an ACC bid, you know what I'm saying? You, it's a tough schedule in the ACC, so, you know, you ha you kind of have that to lean on. And if they don't lose those three games, if, if, if those shots don't fall at the buzzer and then they come in to play Louisville and they beat them, then you're talking about a team that might be a little dangerous in the tournament. And that's like the fine line between the North Carolina that we know and the North Carolina that we're getting right now. Yeah, in North Carolina, their record would not be anywhere near this if Cole Anthony was healthy the entire year. Yeah. But it is. We'll see how it goes Saturday. Louisville could be a look-ahead spot, but hopefully it is not. The games Saturday are so well spread out in college basketball. You have three games that feature two ranked teams. Two of them are really late at night. you got Oregon at Arizona, 14 versus 24 at 9 o'clock. And then Gonzaga, number two, going to number 23, BYU. Those are at 9 and 10 o'clock. Kentucky plays at 6 against Florida. Louisville plays at 4 against North Carolina. It's, it's spread out beautifully. 
historically, like it's never been before. And then 12 o'clock, game of the day, college game day, you have Kansas, number three, traveling to number one, Baylor. It, it's possibly game of Gun the day. season. Gun um, day game. These two teams have played 51 games combined this year. They've only lost four of them. Kansas, one of those losses is to Baylor. But Baylor did win by 12 at Kansas, at Kansas, at which Kansas. you don't see in the Big 12 hardly ever. Baylor is a weird team. They have been so undervalued by Las Vegas every single game. They don't waver from it. If they're on the road at an unranked team, Baylor's only favored by three or four every time. And they cover every single time. So I keep waiting for Baylor to have a slip-up. They really just don't, and I'm just done expecting it. They were missing their point guard Teague on Tuesday night against Oklahoma, and they still rolled. They won no problem because they're just faster, and they play harder than everybody they play. It's not like Baylor there, but a great weekend to watch some college basketball. Let's take a quick break. A quick break to talk to you all about adrenaline shock. Everyone who knows me knows I love energy drinks, but it used to be Red Bull and Monster. Now it's Adrenaline Shock, available at Kroger's, Myers, gas stations, and pretty much anywhere you can buy the alternative. Adrenaline Shock is formulated with performance ingredients to help you reach your peak and is much healthier than what I usually drink. All right, back to the show. Thank God the NBA is back because I have been watching some awful awful, awful college basketball games, and it just makes me realize how much I appreciate those Hawks-Mavericks games that I watch. Games like that where even though one team may not be very good or both teams may not be very good, you're still watching the NBA, and it's just a way more entertaining style of basketball. And the All-Star break was so fun, and then you have these three days where there's just nothing going on. It's finally time to get back into it. So I want to look at some NBA storylines going into the second half. The major story is that... John Beeline's NBA tenure has ended after a very short stint with the Cleveland Cavaliers. It was weird when he left Michigan because he's been one of the most successful college basketball coaches of this decade. He takes the Cleveland Cavaliers job, which was probably one of the worst in the NBA when you look at their contractual situations and the way they've used the draft the last couple years with Colin Sexton and Darius Garland, two guys that kind of do the same thing. But he has now... Step down. He's still going to remain within the organization. I don't know. His name is going to be a very hot college coaching commodity. But just an odd way that he went out. You, you don't see a lot of it. I don't know if you've ever seen it before because he said his players were playing like thugs in a film session that got leaked to the media. And I forget what he tried to say he said. It was like he said he got the word wrong. Like he didn't mean to say thug. He meant to say something else. But I don't know what sounds like thug. Yeah, there's not much that rhymes with that that you could be using towards people. Players didn't buy it. So uh, the week before he was ousted as the Cavs coach, a report came out saying that they were all playing songs that emphasize the word thug. And I just don't know that I've necessarily ever heard anything as disrespectful and as counteractive from a pro franchise towards their own coach. I think the difference is the pro factor. Uh, you, you call a college kid a thug and he doesn't like it, or a group of college kids a thug and they don't like it, they transfer. They don't get as vocal. They get a little disappointed. Maybe you see it reflect on their play on the court, but they still have their future, their family, and their careers to think about, especially if they're, you know, at Michigan. Michigan had some players that were going to get drafted. So even if you say that about them, then they start transferring, and the storyline shifts to where are they transferring to? How much better is another team going to get? When you're in the NBA, those guys make a lot of times more money than you do, buddy. So, like, they have their own voices. They have their own weight to carry. They have their own podium. So they're going to speak out about it. I didn't really get into the situation a whole lot to like know like a whole lot about it. Well, but yeah, it's a cap. Just the gist of it is just it's the difference between pro and and college. And and some guys they can't make it in the pros. And I think that this might be another example of it. I mean, Beeline was a fantastic coach in college for a lot of years. He, you know, a Michigan team that Michigan's a you know a good program. You know, they're a good school. We all know who the Michigan Wolverines are for a lot of different reasons. But they're hit and miss in basketball, and he he really put them back on that you know that that hierarchy for a few years, and uh, you know had some good players coming in and out of there. Well, the Cavs players didn't care about that at all. No, they don't. They 
I don't think really knew who he was. And I think when you go into the NBA from college, it's clear that you have to earn these players' respect. Absolutely. Which is something that Brad Stevens was able to do. Rick Pitino was not. John Calipari was not. And now you see that John Beeline was not. And they're playing songs like Bone Thugs and Hard Harmony, Thuggish, Ruggish Bone, Tupac's Thug's Mansion, Trick Daddy's I'm a Thug, and other songs related around thug life if you will and i'm just bummed out that they left out my favorite thug song which i forgot and that was he was once a thug from around the way by mr yo Gotti. what a song uh, isn't that song good That's yeah and good i just one. couldn't believe they left it out because I don't, I don't really not familiar with these other songs really but yeah just just thought that song was they should let you make the playlist buddy i swear yeah they, they would have gone nuts you would have came up with some yeah heat, buddy. the one thing that i did see about this whole situation that just literally blows my mind so there was a couple of the player complaints, some of the uh, player complaints about John Beeline was that he practiced the fundamentals too much. Yeah. Literally, I saw that as a tweet today. I'm like, the Cleveland, Cleveland Cavaliers have won 14 games this year. Yeah. They're last in the East. Probably, fundamentals are what you need. You probably learn probably anything. That. I understand you know? it. I get it. Y'all are NBA players. Y'all have made it to the league. You're playing in the highest level of basketball in the world. I get that. But y'all are not good. So maybe the fundamentals That's might a, be something good for you. You saw the Kevin Love thing, though. Like Kevin Love is accomplished NBA player. He's a champion. And you saw that clip months ago where he's, like, clapping at Colin Sexton to give him the ball, and then he does, and Rockets he throws, does the it. Oh, and, like, stuff like that, you, you really never see. You, you never see veteran players act like that. Obviously, something was wrong. But, you know, the Cavs, they, they have the three highest-paid centers in the entire league all on the same roster. We'll see if it works out for them. But I'm assuming that they're going to lose on purpose. But it's crazy to say how fast this basketball season has gone by. We've talked about how Louisville has three games left after Saturday. The NBA is more than halfway finished now. And when you're looking at the playoffs kind of setting up, it's fun to look at who may play each other. And the main thing that everyone's looking at is who's going to get that eighth seed in the West because it's going to possibly be a three-horse race between Damian Lillard, John Morant, and Zion Williamson. And the Pelicans are actually getting pretty good odds to get the eight seat. And I think that if the Pelicans got the eight seat and they played LeBron's Lakers as the one, that it just doesn't really get much better in terms of a one eight first round matchup must see T V. What Zion's done in his first few games, I don't think anybody could say that they saw it coming. I feel like the more likely prediction is ten to fifteen points, doing the little things, fitting in, being really good, but not like going crazy. And he's 25-plus every single time, 10 rebounds every time. And I think that the Pelicans are more of a 5 or a 6 seed with everybody healthy in terms of their talent, what Brandon Ingram's been, what Drew Holiday can be. We've seen him sweep the Portland Trailblazers in the playoffs as the second-best player on an Anthony Davis-led Pelicans team. Like They have a solid leadership core and one of the best ensembles of young players that we've seen in the NBA in a long time in terms of them all being on the same team. And I just think that would be a really, really cool first-round matchup if we could get Zion and LeBron. Well, then to add on to that, too, I mean, beyond the Zion thing, which he's, like you said, he's been great since he's been back. But then you throw in the fact that the core of that Pelicans team was, they were Lakers last year. Literally. I mean, like, and they couldn't figure it out with LeBron. So, like, you, you have Brandon Ingram, you have Lonzo Ball, and then you have LeBron, too, and they couldn't get to the playoffs. I mean, and and now they're all on the Pelicans, and... It's like they figured it out. It, it, it worked out for everybody great. You know what I mean? Anthony Davis was trying to get over that, that hump. You know, like the Pelicans had made it a couple of times. They they had knocked off some teams and, and put themselves in that spot, and Anthony Davis had, had made himself that elite player, you know, by taking a team like that and, and putting them in the playoffs. And he didn't but care. They, but they, they weren't good enough for him. They, they, they couldn't get over the hump, and he wanted to get over the hump. And so now he's on this team that might be able to get over the hump, that, that you would think would, you know, even though that's going to be a good series and an interesting storyline, is probably going to beat the Pelicans in that. But, like, the Pelicans are good. Yeah. The Pelicans are really, really, they like, they, to, they, they have a lot to build on. And to your point, I mean, think about that fire. Like, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, they weren't good enough to be on the Lakers. They New weren't. Orleans wasn't good enough for Anthony Davis, so he left. There's all these things that aren't necessarily even related, you know, like – but, but they, they so all, are. They all come back full yeah. circle, and that's what that that's what that matchup's going to be. If the Pelicans play the Lakers, that's what that matchup will be. It'll be that full circle. Hey, these are two teams that benefited from a trade, which a lot of times in in any sport, you really don't see both teams really 
you do see it, but it's more times than not, night. Not one team's going to gain the advantage. Right. You, you know, we, you know, you see ESPN report on it for days after a big trade goes down, and and when that trade went down, the Lakers were the winners. They were the winners. They got Anthony Davis. Now you got Anthony Davis and LeBron James on a team, and and now they're one of those teams that have dual superstars that are going to be at the top tier of of their conference. But nobody talked about the Pelicans. Yeah. Nobody talked about the Pelicans who got the number one draft pick last year and got all those young players that were really, really good, all top draft picks whenever they came through and got drafted in the league. And now they're kind of finding their stride and they're figuring out a way to play together and putting themselves in a playoff position even without Anthony Davis. And they're going to play a team that Anthony Davis is on probably. I mean, you know, the Lakers still have to win some games too. There's some good teams in the West. We'll talk a little bit more about the Clippers. But, like, I think the real storyline in that, beyond Zion, which is kind of what has blanketed the Pelicans the last couple weeks, is the Zion coming back and being so great and being that player that maybe even better than the player than a lot of people thought that he would, you know? Especially when you're hearing all these stories about how they're teaching him to walk. Like, you know, that was comical to people. This dude's back, and he's scoring 30 points in games and and still getting, you know, close to double-digit rebounds, if not double-digit rebounds. This man... Is playing great, but the Pelicans as a team are very, very fascinating, and that matchup is very, very fascinating. Maybe one of the more fascinating matchups between a one and eight seed ever that we've yeah, seen in a long time. Since that one, that in hindsight looks really exciting, where Baron Davis beat the Mavs. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, you're looking at all this, and like the Mavs are looking at a seven or a six seed. Nobody wants to play them. If we got Clippers, Mavs first round, that would be awesome. Looking at Kawhi and PG, can they mix? Can they make this work without really using the regular season to make it work going against Doncic and Porzingis, who, when are both healthy, have looked way better than a seven seed where they're currently 100%. slotted. And then you have that Jazz Rockets possible matchup. Those teams seem to always meet in the playoffs, and it's such a contrast of styles because the Jazz are not going to take Gobert off the floor, and the Rockets are not going to play a center. So it's it's like what's going to end up working in the what's Rockets. Give? Yeah. The Rockets have dominated the Jazz in the playoffs. The last two years they've eliminated them. The playoffs are going to be really really fun. And when you look at the East, the Bucks are rolling through everybody. You're looking at a possible Celtics Pacers rematch in the first round in the three six spot. Kendrick, we went to that game last year on Easter where it was Game Four and the Celtics swept the Pacers in Indiana. And it's like how you know the Celtics better this year with. Kemba instead of Kyrie. Tatum's obviously a lot better, but you look at the Pacers and they signed Brogdon and they look a lot better. Like, is that going to be any different or are the Celtics just going to sweep them? Can the Raptors keep it up? Because you look at the East, the seven seed down, everybody's bad. Like, the first two seeds in the East are going to be in a great spot to advance, and one of them is going to have home court advantage, and the Celtics and Raptors are neck and neck for that two spot. The Raptors just never seem to lose, but that's a big, big change. And then you have a Heat-Sixers possible first-round matchup where you have Jimmy (laughs) Butler versus Embiid, a really young and hungry team versus a drastically underachieving Philadelphia team. Are they going to fire the coach? Are they not going to fire their coach? And I think the playoffs have a lot more depth to it than they normally do. You're looking at a guy right now like Damian Lillard being left out. Bradley Beal, he obviously feels drastically disrespected by being left out of the all-star process. He's just a game or two out of that eight spot behind the Magic. Like, can he get in there? Can he give the Bucks some trouble? Uh, Trey, do you have any NBA storylines? Yeah, um, just kind of backtracking on this, these playoffs here. First and foremost, I would like to shout out Billy Donovan and the Oklahoma City Thunder, my yes. team. Who would have thought? We were only projected to win, I think, 31 games this year. Did that before the All-Star break. Uh, we're one spot ahead of the Dallas Mavericks, which you, you never could have told me that at the beginning of the season. Chris Paul loves it there, too. Chris Paul loves it. We have a really good young guard in Shea, even though I know he's a U.K., player but love them and they don't they wouldn't seem to fit on paper but they kind of do when you're watching them he's a really good uk player he's really he has been fantastic he's legit and i think it's great too that we also have chris paul who was obviously an all-star this year kind of being that mentor to him so Mm -hmm. you know kind of moving forward giving him his tips and all the things he's learned over his career i think that's great for us and i think one of the biggest things i've seen with him too is he's not like he's not afraid to have that ball in his hand at the end of the game I, i think uh i think he got his pocket pick the other, I can't remember who they were playing, but he got his pocket picked. I remember watching the highlight of it um, really, really late in the game. And Chris Paul, like, walked over to him and talked to him and taught him what he could have done different yep. because he was kind of out there dribbling. He's pounding the ball. But I think the big picture in that was 
He wasn't afraid to have it right there oh, with no. Chris Paul on the court. And Chris Paul was not sitting over there begging for the ball. You're seeing a different Chris Paul, more of a mentor. Uh, like you said, a guy that loves to be where he's at right now. Uh, you know, he left He left to go and win championships. It didn't happen for him, which is unfortunate. Chris Paul is one of my favorite players of all time, him, D-Wade. He left there with a goal. He didn't meet it, but he's like, now he's back. He's he's in the place that he might be most comfortable in, really. And he's having the most fun that I've seen him have, like playing basketball. And it's for a guy that hasn't had a lot of years in the NBA, which, you know, a lot of times we've heard Chris Paul having bad attitudes and not being able to work well with coaches and work well with teammates and things like that. He's taking young guys. He's taking them under his wing. And he's making them better as players, whether they fail or they succeed. It doesn't matter to him. They are overachieving as a team, like you said. And he is just, it kind of seems like he's just kind of happy to be a part of that. Definitely. And I remember him making a comment when he did get traded um, after. Obviously, he didn't want to be traded at the time. But once he got there, it was cool that he was talking about how, you know, this is where I started my career. Because I forgot that the Pelicans, because of Hurricane Katrina, they actually start when he came into the league. Yeah, they Hornets were in, back in the day. Yeah. Same uniforms the Hornets, Hornets yes, had. They Hornets, just had sorry. the Oklahoma City across. Yeah, same Oklahoma font. City. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it's cool that for him, he kind of said it was like a coming full circle. You know, he's, he started his career in Oklahoma City. That's where he's at now towards the latter part of his career. So I think that's cool. And I think it's cool that he, a lot of players in that position, if they were traded like that and, you know, you're no longer necessarily on a title contending team, you could have a bad attitude about this. It's you know? easy to get Absolutely. a wrist injury and sit out for, exactly. for two months. Exactly. And Absolutely. he he hasn't done that. He's owned it. And the Thunder have or one and a half games back of the Houston Rockets, and the Rockets sent the Thunder <laughs> two first round picks and Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook. It doesn't look that great now, but you always have to account for human relationships. Yeah. Chris Paul has obviously built really strong bonds with these guys on the Thunder team. They respect him. They like understand his leadership and there's no debate over who the leader is in that locker room. And when you're looking at these rockets clips over the summer where James Harden's smacking Chris Paul's hand and Chris Paul's in a suit and he's trying to tell him something. And James Harden is literally like, no dude, get away from me. It just didn't work. And James Harden obviously cares about Westbrook. And even though they both go out there and make a ton of good and bad plays, selfish plays, if you will, even the good ones and bad ones, they still respect each other. And James Harden didn't have that for Chris Paul. That's why things didn't work in Houston after that terrible Chris Paul injury two years ago now, where they were actually going to beat the Warriors, and then he gets hurt, and they have no chance without him. And then last year, an epic collapse against an injured Warriors team. They just still couldn't get it done when they were favored in almost all of those games. So I think the move worked for both teams. But the Thunder have always been one of the best-managed teams in the NBA and I think when you're looking at the uh, yes it is it's a it's a major compliment to him but I think when you're looking at the buyout market if this thing doesn't work for the Rockets a small ball thing don't be surprised to see Tristan Thompson head to Houston because they're gonna buy him out I don't see how it works as the NBA gets bigger they got smaller well they and that to me like I get I get what they're trying to do but who are you trying to prove a point to you you got people like Luka Doncic out here playing point guard at you know Ben Simmons, like six ten, you know, up there in the seven foots, almost like the NBA is getting bigger, and you chose to get smaller. I mean, PJ Tucker has to just be having a miserable time. That is a corner three point shooter who spreads the floor. That that's like playing Trevor Ariza at at center. I mean, that's just like it's not going to work. He's the best corner three point shooter in the NBA over the last five years. Yeah, and when you look at what the Rockets have done the last three seasons, it's hard to win the title. They've been really successful, and they do something revolutionary. Every single year, whether it's eliminating the big man, eliminating the ball screen, shooting 63s a game. They screen less than any NBA team now. Mm-hmm. And they do this weird stuff that it's hard to deny that it it works for them. And I think they're trying to do something different. They're trying to be creative, and they're trying to get James Harden and Russell Westbrook that thing that they need most, space. Yeah. And they have done that. So I, I actually think that it can work, and I like their move. But what I don't understand is not having a guy like Tristan Thompson. Insert kind of any center that would be like a 79 overall or above on 2K. Insert any of them because – what about that game? What about that 12-minute stretch where you maybe do want to center out there, where you want to throw something different at somebody? Now you literally don't have the opportunity to Robert Covington or P.J. Tucker's at center at every single moment of the game. Crazy, That's man. crazy. You're asking both of those players to do something totally different than than what they've kind of built a career off of. And my thing is, is too, like, don't get me wrong. Like, I think it works for them. Like, I think it works for them. I think it's, you know, like you said, they're creative and, they're you know, they do well with that. And But the thing about it is, is like, 
they were already in the top tier of the West. Yeah. They they you know, they they were going deep in the playoffs. They they just couldn't get over that hump and I feel like all they did was at best a lateral move. Yeah. They created a new type of way of of competing with people, but not a good enough one where they're gonna win a championship. I think Capella was just not right for them. And it's weird because it felt like when Paul was there, it was perfect for him because all these lobs and stuff. Yeah. But Westbrook doesn't do a lot of that. No, not much no, at all. And no. it, I, I just think they made moves based on their personnel, and I think that they could be really good. I did hear one more thing on the NBA that Dick Vitale still, during the UVL game last night, made a push for Rick Pitino to coach the Knicks. That he did. And I just love that. I love Dick Vitale's consistent persistence in the fact that Rick Pitino needs a job in America, and he can still do great things. He'll just find a way to bring it up out of nowhere. You're watching this, and somehow they start talking about the Knicks and what a bad situation they are, and I just appreciate that. Dick Vitale, best performance he's had in years. KFC Yum Center, Wednesday night. A uh, couple final things. Uh, there's a huge boxing match, which I don't think I've ever talked about on here, but yeah, why not? Why not? I have ESPN+. Plus. Do you think that means I can watch the boxing match? I, I believe it does. Oh, it doesn't. I don't so think you're going to be able to. You watch have that. to have ESPN Plus to have the opportunity to, to buy the pay per view thing, which so, is probably going to be like fifty bucks. Yeah, so I saved five dollars in this process because I already have that, but I still have to buy the actual thing, which is probably Great around job, sixty dollars. Yeah, it's so, really tough. It's like a coupon. If I'm understanding you correctly, you're telling me that. If you don't have ESPN Plus, you can't buy the pay per view. Yeah, it's you're gonna go have to, have to buy ESPN Plus to get the pay per view. As far as I understand, yeah. that's wild. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. But that's ESPN's cable rights. But Wilder is minus one twenty five over Fury. They fought before they tied. This is a heavyweight division. These guys are massive, and this is just a really interesting one. If you're not doing anything on Saturday night, it's a good thing to buy because this is very McGregor Mayweather McGregor Diaz. Esque. I know that it's not necessarily the same sport in both of those, but this is one of those things where the world, even outside of the ultimate fighting, the boxing world, everybody's interested in it. And the spread is dead even. These guys are massive. Tyson Fury said that he's cut out of his diet the 20 to 30 Diet Cokes he drinks per day. May want to just do that altogether. But because I saw that stat, I will take Wilder, minus 125. Like, I see it. Obviously, I'm a sports fan. I'm not the biggest boxing and UFC, like, advocate. Like, you, you couldn't ask me a bunch of different random boxers. But this is just one of those fights where you just know about it, you know? Obviously, it's highly publicized. Uh, you see a lot of things. But these two guys, like you said, are massive. And it makes it cool because not only are they massive and strong, but they're very controlled. Very skilled. They're, yes. Yeah. They're very efficient uh, for what boxing is, and they hate each other. Uh, they had the weigh-in yesterday. Yeah, it went well. They're that's all weigh-in. shoving each other and, and talking trash to each other, and that's great. Like you said, they tied last time. Fury took – what people may not realize if you didn't watch that fight or for whatever reason didn't see highlights of it is, yes, they tied – but Fury was on his back in the very last round. And I mean, not only on his back, like, oh, I fell because I got hit a little hard. Uh, yeah, Wilder hit that. him with a right and then maybe the biggest left hook I've ever seen and flush and knocked him cold out to where his eyes were closed. And at five seconds, he it was like he woke up from the dead. Yeah, he was Undertaker like, oh. type stuff. He was like, oh, I'm in a fight and it's the last round and all I got to do is stand up. So he seriously got off of his back with both of his hands out, stood up immediately, quick as all out, and was like, hey, I'm ready to go. Let's do this. I can eat a couple more. Yeah, you're and looking at those highlight videos, and you see all of them, and they play them really quick when they're previewing the fight, and then they, they see them raise both their hands, and you're like, what? I mean, it's unbelievable. Both these guys over six feet, both of them well over 200 pounds, and they just can go 12 rounds like that, swinging at each other full force because they don't like each other. And their only goal, I promise you, Wilder and Fury's goal is not to say, hey, I want to make it 12 rounds and get the points. No, they That's both, people like Mayweather. They both have already said, I'm going to knock the other one out I in the want second round. To, yeah, I, like, I, I want to hurt you. Like uh, As vicious as it sounds, that – to me, is what makes it a very, very interesting and very cool fight because we've seen people, like I said, Mayweather, make a whole career out of it and, and be talked about as the greatest boxer of all time. But the, the kind of the black spot on him is that, you know, he's the defender and right, that he, right. he fights for points. And that's what boxing is. It's a game. At the end of the day, just like anything else, even though as fans we want to see somebody get knocked out cold and hope oh, yeah. that they're still okay at the end of it, obviously. But Mayweather made a living off of I scored more points than you in this fight. I touched yep. you with my gloves in the spaces in the in the spots that get you points. 
more than you touch me with yours. And that's how I'm going to make my career. These two want to knock each other out. Wilder has made a career off of knocking people out. He is one of the hardest hitters that I think I've ever seen myself. Um, and it's it's going to be really really interesting. I I still th- I'm going to take Wilder. That's the thing about combat sports these days. You know, you got McGregor, you have Floyd Mayweather. All these these boxers, these fighters, they are usually either like you know light heavyweight, mid like you know uh, middleweight or featherweight, whatever. Mm-hmm. This matchup is a heavyweight bout, two big guys going at it, throwing haymakers. This is what people want to see when you think about watching a boxing match. Yeah. Obviously, it's not as popular as it used to be. But when you think about, oh, if I'm going to watch this boxing match, this is what you want to see. You want to see these two heavyweights go at it. Right. And I think that's what makes this so intriguing. You see the dislike that they have for each other. It's like You can tell it's not fake either. You can tell it's like real. No. Like They do not like each other. And Deontay Wilder, he, that, that's a scary man, so I'm going with him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, hopefully we're all right, but I just don't see how – not knowing a ton about the sport, they show you these videos. How in the world you could pick Tyson Fury in this? But I, I'm honestly shocked that the line is so low and even. I get that they tied last time, but I just I doesn't make any sense to me. And I was telling you all too right before we started this thing. Like uh, apparently Wilder broke his arm 12 weeks before they fought last time and trained mainly left-handed the whole time. Um, and so that makes it a little interesting too because obviously he goes in there with a the little edge, like hey. I tied this guy last time, and I put him on his back in the 12th round, and I had a broken arm. You know, that's the kind of way that he has to kind of think coming in, and I think that that's why I take him. I, that's why I edge him a little bit because it, you know, obviously if it was so broken that he couldn't fight, he wouldn't have. He wouldn't have risked his career and, like, his, his reputation on getting knocked out because he couldn't use his right hand. But, so, but you know, this is a it's an interesting situation. I think he comes in with a different mindset. It's a totally different approach to the fight and the thing about that is i think that puts fury at a disadvantage because it's the way that wilder's fought his whole life but fury hasn't seen that yet he's seen like this kind of tactical wilder you know even though it does still seem like he was throwing haymakers it was still you have to think it was somewhat tactical because of the way that he trained leading up to the last fight yeah it's going to be interesting i'm excited i'll be watching it as well as those two late night college basketball games going to be a great weekend of sports uh things that we missed just so you all are aware, I like the Roughnecks this weekend in the XFL, minus five at the Tampa Bay Vipers. I am fading the Vipers. I am taking the Roughnecks 2-0 and versus 0-2 at Tampa Bay. Roughnecks minus five. And then Louisville baseball, big weekend. So if you're in town in Louisville, great time to go check out the cards. They play Valparaiso at home on Friday which is today, 2 o'clock, Saturday, 1 o'clock, Sunday, 1 o'clock. It's going to be cold, but if you don't have anything going on, the cards are there for you. Guys, do you all have anything else? Nope, I think that's it for me. Not much, man, as always. Thank you for having me. Hey, anytime, I will just TTYL.